The series is called First Things, Priorities of a Good Life. Today, the priority of friendship. The priority of friendship. Henry David Thoreau is one of our great American poets. He said this, Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. You know, what's incredible about that and ironic about that is he was looking back at the bustling society that he had left. And from his perch, his quiet solitude, his contented position on Walden Pond, he said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Why the disconnect today? Why the divorce rate so high? Why are people in an epidemic of loneliness? You know, Cigna did a study uh, of millennials aged 23 to 37. Across the country, thousands of millennials said this. 54% of them responded that they didn't feel like most people knew them at all. In fact, the chief medical officer of that study said this. He said, loneliness is an epidemic. It's equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's having a health impact that's worse than obesity, loneliness. Why the disconnect? Well, now that I've got your attention, <laughs> let's ask a, a happier question. What makes friendship grow and endure? And the answer is risk. From the Word of God, Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 38. Open your Bibles if you've got one and follow along with me. Luke 10. 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. And then the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. Let's pray. God bless us now through this word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our hands and feet we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. C.S. Lewis has a, a quotation that has haunted me for a long time when I look at most men leading lives of quiet desperation. He said this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to be vulnerable. How do we, how do we see friendship grow and endure. Well, we have to risk. We have to risk knowing and being known. Knowing and being known. Let's start with being known. For, for friendship to, to grow and endure, we have to be willing to be known, which it means 
to risk transparency. That doesn't mean total vulnerability like getting up and, and every, for every person you're doing the trust fall. Catch me, right? But it may mean that you risk being a little bit off balance, leaning on people just a little bit. Risking transparency is putting yourself out there, a little bit of vulnerability. You know, uh, nothing, nothing makes people friendly uh, like a puppy. Right? I'm hearing about all these um, pandemic puppies, right? Everybody's getting a quarantine puppy. Nothing makes people friendly like a puppy, but nothing makes friends like a baby. Now, here's what I mean. Uh, when, uh, when our babies were small, we'd take them out to, uh, to eat, and we'd go to Cracker Barrel, perhaps, on, on a road trip. I remember one time being at the end of a meal and getting up, and uh, there was so much debris, I could see on the floor the perimeter of the table in crumbs. I mean, unbelievable. So I got down, we cleaned it up, and we left the waitress a big tip. But, you know, when you have a baby, when you have young ones, you cannot hide. <laughs> you can't help but be transparent. I mean, you know people when they have babies and when you're around each other. You see, there's a certain time of life, certain seasons of life where you cannot help but be transparent. Those are the seasons when friendships are forged. And we forget that. Now think of the people that you know the most and think of when you, you forged those friendships. It's probably a coming of age when you're late adolescence or, or college or, or those early stages of, of pregnancy and, and parenthood. We can be transparent in any season. Martha doesn't want to be. Jesus looks at her, he says, Martha, Martha. He's not saying tisk tisk. One commentator says this that that when there's a doubling of names, there's sorrow. David says, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, mourning his loss. Jesus looks at Jerusalem with compassion, says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Jesus is looking at Martha with compassion. Not tisk tisk. He's looking at her with compassion. Martha, Martha. You're worried about so many things. You're all tasked and no people. You only want to be known by your press release. You only want to be known by your best, by, by your perfection. You're not going to be known at all. You know, I've worked in, in places that are all people and no task. High people, low task. And you know, eventually, that becomes a problem. Because it, you know, not... not not, not, no concern about the things that need to get done eventually affects the relationship. But I've also worked in places on teams where it's all task, high task and low people. That's a brutal place to be. Everything's measurable. Everything's controlled. Martha only wants to be known in terms of what she can control, in terms of what's best what she does best in terms of what she can put out there. It, only after it, it, it gets its polish on it. But see, that keeps her in a place of deep insecurity because it all rests, it all rides on her performance. So what about you? How do you know that, that you are um, in that place of high performance, of deep insecurity? Well, ask yourself these two questions. How, how much how anxious are you 
about getting it just right, number one. And number two, how much do you avoid feedback? Those are two questions that can help you see where you are with this question of being known, willingness to be known. On the other hand, you know, to, to be known as, as Mary is being known, she's putting herself out there. She's, she's putting herself at Jesus' feet. She, she's connecting. You know, it reminds me a little bit of watching Bob Ross paint a painting. You know, he's, he's having a, a resurgence. He's having a comeback, and young people are loving. I guess they're soothed by his voice and watching Bob Ross. But when Bob Ross makes a mistake, you know, he's an artist. Uh, had a PBS show for, for many, many years. And whenever he makes a mistake, he's putting a little happy bush there, right? And, he's, and he makes a mistake. He, 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 he kind of works it in. He, he even makes a comment about it. He says, you know what, Th this can be, actually, this can be, you know, something else as part of the painting. He, he takes his mistakes, and, and, and they're transparent. He puts it out there and just says, look, this is, this is just part of the painting. This is part of the richness. This is part of the uniqueness of it. You see the freedom in that? To be known, to be known by God, is to have a level of acceptance that allows you to be fully awake and alive in the moments with people around you. It helps you to connect with other people. So, if, if friendship is going to grow and endure, we have to be willing to risk being known, risk transparency. Second, we have to be willing to risk knowing others, even if there's no reciprocation. We have to be willing to be in their moment, even if they never reciprocate into your moment. You have to be willing to risk knowing others and let them be in charge of knowing you. So, you know, here's Martha, and she's supposed to be Miss Hospitality, right? Well, she's already decided what her guests need. She's already decided what Jesus needs. Is she in his moment? Is she concerned about what he needs? He's, he's got this heavy responsibility. He's found this place, this, this place of refuge. They, they become, you know, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus become like family to him, like his, his, his closest friends. And he's nurturing that friendship. He's getting into her moment. He's seeing... He's seeing what's going on through her. You know, you know, let, let, just back up just a minute. You know, some of you may object to the earlier point of being known, and you say, well, you know, when, when I invite people over to my house and they, they, judge, they judge me, you know, what am I supposed to do then? Well, <laughs> maybe that's your place to say, Martha, Martha, to see what's going on with them, unwillingness to be known. We, we've got a friend, uh, my wife and I have a friend uh, in, uh, in Chattanooga who said, look, if somebody drops by and, and you haven't had time to clean up, turn down the lights. <laughs> Dim the lights. I love that. But see, Martha has already decided what, what Jesus needs. She's not interested in getting in his moment. She's interested in staying in her moment. She's interested in her own press release, her own image, her own polish. She's not, she's not learning who he is. It makes me think of this, this story about uh, Dr. Luis uh, Agassi, who... Uh, who was a Harvard professor, a, 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 a botanist, and, and he would take fish and put it on, or, or a plant, or a fish, he would take it and, and put it on a, a student's desk. And he would say, look at the fish, and he'd leave the room. He'd come back an hour later, people would be frustrated. What are we supposed to do next? And he'd say, look at your fish. And he'd leave the room. <laughs> they'd, they'd start making lists, and they'd draw diagrams, and. Hours later, days later, 
all right, I've, I, I, look at what I've done. Look at what I've discovered. What do we do next? He'd say, look at your fish. One student said this. He said, you know, I'm not sure if I ever saw what he wanted me to see, but I sure saw what I wasn't seeing in the beginning. I sure began to see how little I saw. You know, we pass by so many moments. We pass by so many people without really seeing them, without getting into their moment. You know, the, the, the suitor wooing a woman or, or the woman who's evaluating the suitor. You know, we, sure, we surely see then, don't we? We're looking intently in that, that stage of, of, uh, of courtship. You know, how does she take her coffee? What are her favorites? Why does she say it that way? We study, we, we think, we make lists, we, we think about, we, we're, we're, we're learning the person. And too often, too often, we cool to that kind of intentionality. To stay in their moment and let them be responsible for being in our moment. Mary was with Jesus. There was no quid pro quo. There was no exchange. It wasn't like, okay, uh, I'm going to do this for you and you do this for me. It was just much more about just being with him. Now, there's a great book called With uh, by Sky Jitani. Uh, he, he talks about the different ways that we try to connect with God. And ultimately, we can't receive just life from him. We can't do things for him. We just are called to be with him. This is what Jesus is saying. Mary has chosen the greater portion. He's saying, Martha, Martha, you want a quid pro quo? You know, without our, our, our uh, American politics of late, we wouldn't know what that meant. But it's sort of an exchange. I scratch your back, you scratch my back. That's where Mary is. She's saying, look, if I do this for you, if, I, if my efforts measure up, then maybe you'll accept me. Jesus is saying, look, you've got you've to die to your best deeds. You've got to die to your best deeds. Our self-righteousness, the control that we have over our own righteousness or being okay with ourselves or being at peace with God, that control that we have, that's the last bat out of the belfry. That's the last bastion of our insecurity or our, our, our insecure position the, of the barriers that we construct ourselves and yet feel deeply insecure. And with that insecurity, we move towards others and we inflict them. We inflict them with that insecurity. We judge them. We have expectations that are unspoken. Listen to how George Whitfield talks about it. George Whitfield was uh, really the one of the most famous people in the world in his day and age, friend of, of John Wesley. You, know, you heard the prayer of John Wesley earlier in the service. He, he was the, the center of, of the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening in the United States and in the West. And he said this about dying to our own self-righteousness, to our best deeds. He said, You must be trouble, troubled, for the sins of your best duties and performances. So he's talking about, look, if you want to repent, <laughs> you have to repent of your sins, the things that you do that violate God's law. You have to repent of the condition of sin, but not only that, we have to repent of our best 
deeds. Are you getting it? Of our best deeds. That's why in Isaiah 64 it says, you know, Isaiah just unabashedly repents of his own repentance. He says, uh, my best deeds, my righteousness is like filthy rags. Whitfield goes on, he says this, our self-images unravel, our excuses, our rationalizations, our entitlements, our superiority, every self-invented refuge collapses. You must be brought to see that God may damn you for the best prayer you ever put up. Our best duties are so many splendid sins. Your self-righteousness is the last idol taken out of the heart. You see, this is why we have to get into other people's moment. No quid pro quo, no exchange, no transaction, but investment. See the difference? You go to the store and you say, I'm going to give you this and you're going to give me that. But when you invest money, you put it down, you don't know what's going to happen with it. You have to leave it there. And you're going to discover whether somebody has the capacity to reciprocate or not. Well, that's their responsibility. How do we have the security to do that? Because we first do that with God. We say, there's nothing that I have to give to you in exchange. I receive from you as a free gift. You see, to be accepted and unknown makes us lonely. To be known and unaccepted is the risk that we take. To be known and accepted, what's that? That is the gospel. To be accepted and known is the gospel. That's what we have to offer the world. And that's what we have to share. And you know what that leads to? That can lead to friendship. A willingness to be known. A willingness to know others with no strings attached. With no conditions. Otherwise, what we're trying to do is we're trying to control the relationship. We're trying to move towards people uh, with our sense of security, but really a deep-seated insecurity. And we inflict that on the people around us. Here's how a hymn writer, a recent hymn writer, a more modern hymn writer puts it. He says, come, spirit, come. Our hearts control. Our spirits long to be made whole. Let inward love guide every deed. By this we worship and are freed. By this we worship and are freed. Let's pray. God, thank you for calling us friends in that great priestly prayer that Jesus prayed over us. He he refers to us as friends. Lord, with that great sense of acceptance, may we move out into the world in strength to offer the gospel, to offer our friendship. In Jesus' name, amen.